And today we're going to finish our third sermon series on what's so great about it. I encourage you, if you missed it, go back to the website or go to YouTube and watch or go to our Facebook and watch the other previous messages of what's so great about it. We're going to finish the sermon series today. What's so great about it? Would you bow your hearts in prayer as we go to the Lord in prayer as we finish this sermon series? Heavenly Father, we just come to you in the name of Jesus, our Lord. We thank you for this opportunity that we have. Thank you for these wonderful people that have gathered in your name today. Open our ears and our hearts that we would hear from you. We bind, rebuke, and bring to no effect all distractions. We thank you that we give undivided attention to your word. We pray that we would hear the word, receive it, and we pray we'd be faithful and fruitful. And everyone shouted a great big, everybody shouted a great big, amen. You may be seated this morning. What is so great about Christianity? What makes Christianity so distinctive and what makes it so different? Why is so many people drawn to this great movement called Christianity? This movement has 2.3 billion people around the world. This movement is a militant movement. A powerful movement that reaches to every continent known to man. And for 2,000 years, it's been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's so great about Christianity? No, I, I see many people don't think it's great. There are haters of Christianity that don't necessarily think it's great. I mean, how can it be great when... The history of Christianity has wars. It's been known for bloodshed. It's been known for abuse, power, control, and immorality. How can Christianity be so great when its history has been embedded with immorality and perversion and bloodshed and control? How can Christianity be great when church leaders have done things unbiblical in the name of God? How can Christianity be so great when there are so many people that's been hurt by the church? How can we have the audacity to say that Christianity is a great movement when deep embedded in the history of our movement we have been known to do things that's not so good. How can it be so great? How can we proudly stand and lift our hands this morning and be a part of this great movement knowing that some of our history hasn't been the greatest? You see, Christianity hasn't necessarily represented Jesus very well, has it? Christianity hasn't represented Jesus the greatest. I'm a firm believer that as long as there is people, there's going to be corruption. And it is my opinion that as long as people are a part of movements and organizations, there's always going to be shady things. There's always going to be corruption because that's people for you. But let me remind you of a great principle that I learned years ago. And I think that this principle holds great truth. 
And that is this. Don't ever judge Jesus on the weaknesses of His followers. Don't ever judge Jesus based upon the weaknesses of His followers. Let me push the envelope this morning and say it like this. Don't judge Christianity based upon the weaknesses of its followers. You see, don't judge Christianity based upon the weaknesses of its followers. In spite of Christianity's failures in the past, in spite of our failures, I am a still a firm believer that if you look at history, that even though we have some shady things in our history and some things in our history that we're not proud about, but I'm a firm believer that Christianity has done more good than it has done harm. In fact, it's done way more good than it's done harm. I believe that our civilization has been greatly affected by Christianity. I said a few weeks ago that we have built hospitals and schools and orphanages and churches in His name. Christianity has contributed to our laws. We have contributed to our economics, our politics. We've contributed to the arts, our calendar, our holidays, and even our moral and cultural priorities have been somewhat been Christianized. In Western Christianity, even our art, our architect, our literature, and our music has been greatly influenced by this movement. If you study American history, most of our American founders were believers which gives me the indication that the very bedrock of our society was built upon Christian values and principles. You see, Christianity today is great, not because of our creeds, not because of our rituals, and not because we do great things and we build great things. All of those are great and wonderful. But I believe that the reason that Christianity is great this morning is because Jesus is great. Jesus is the person that we look to, and Jesus is the one that makes Christianity great. Can I just stop and say this proudly? Jesus will never disappoint you. Jesus will never hurt you, and Jesus will never fail you. The church may fail you. The church may fail you. Pastors may fail you. Churches may disappoint you. But Jesus will never disappoint you, never fail you, and He will never hurt you. The reason I believe that Christianity is great, it's not because of the things we've done or the things we have not done. But Christianity is great because of our founder, and that His name is Jesus the Christ. That is why Christianity is great. Is there anyone in the building that loves the founder of this movement? Jesus Christ. Is there anybody that's given your life to this founder this morning and you are proudly a part of his movement? You see, the last few weeks I've given you some pointers about the greatness of Christianity. And the first week I told you that one of the reasons why I believe Christianity is great is because of Jesus' character. You can depend upon the words of Jesus, his character. Number two, last week I said the reason that I believe that Christianity is great is because of the claims of Jesus. Jesus is who Jesus said He is. And we can take full confidence and faith in the claims of Jesus. And today, 
as I close this sermon series, not only did we look at the character of Jesus, the claims of Jesus, but this morning we're going to look at the corpse of Jesus. The corpse of Jesus. Now what do you mean by this, Pastor Josh? Well, I am going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to talk about the bodily resurrection of Jesus. You say, well, Pastor, this is not Easter. We talk about the resurrection on Easter Sunday morning. But I want you to just stop and think for a moment. Isn't it shameful that the only time we preach the resurrection is once a year? Don't you think that one of the most important events in human history, don't you think that the story of the resurrection, if it's listed five times in the Gospels, maybe we should reiterate the most important part of the Gospel, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question this morning. I know that maybe some of you could be thinking, Pastor, why is the resurrection of Jesus important? I don't really care. Why is it important? I don't really care. What does this matter to me, Pastor? I have bills to pay. I have children to raise. I work on a job that's very stressful. And I need some encouragement this morning. Why are you preaching on the resurrection of Jesus? How is this applicable to my life? And those are valid questions this morning. Those are very valid questions this morning. But I want you to stretch your mind a little bit. I want you to engage your heart for a few moments this morning. And I want to tell you why I believe the resurrection of Jesus is applicable to your life and why it should make a difference. The reason I believe that it should make a difference is this. If Jesus lied about His resurrection, then Jesus cannot be trusted. And if He lied about one thing, then He will lie about another thing. In other words, if Jesus lied about His resurrection, then it's possible Jesus lied about other things. And if Jesus is a liar, then that means we can't trust anything that Jesus said or did. And that also means that you are a part of a movement this morning that is not making a difference and it is founded upon a pack of lies, and all we have done for 2,000 years, we have deceived the hearts of men and women for 2,000 years. Your loved ones who have died, who you have said over their grave, one day I'll see you, you will not see them. They are forever entombed, six feet beneath the ground, with no hope of escape, if Jesus did not raise, rise again from the dead. You see, if Jesus lied about His resurrection then he could have lied about other things, which means that Jesus cannot be trusted. So that means your very faith rests upon the fact that Jesus did what Jesus said he was going to do. He told his disciples, you destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. If Jesus lied about that, then Jesus lied about other things and Jesus cannot be trusted. That is why this is important. This is the most important thing that happened in Christianity. In matter of fact, I'll push the envelope and say it like this. This is the most important historical event known to human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if it did not happen, then Jesus is a liar and our faith is useless this morning. But can I tell you this? If the claims of Jesus is true, 
and Jesus really did raise from the dead, then I want to let you know that everything else Jesus said is also true, and Jesus is a promise keeper, and Jesus... Hallelujah. That means if Jesus said some other things, if Jesus really did get up out of the grave on Sunday morning, then we can trust everything else Jesus said that He did. I don't know about you, but I trust everything Jesus said that He's going to do. Amen? That's why this is so very important. The Apostle Paul even said this was important. I want you to listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. He said it like this. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. And it states this. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and our faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, then we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Do you see what he's saying? If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then he said, Paul said, everything is useless. Listen to pastor this morning. If Christ be not risen, this is what makes Christianity great. If Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain. If Christ be not risen, our faith is useless. If Christ be not risen, we are still in our sins. If Christ be not risen, your tithe and your offering this morning is simply in vain. Your witnessing is in vain. If Christ be not risen, people have suffered persecution in vain. If Christ be not risen, people have suffered martyrdom in vain. People have been pulled apart by wild animals simply in vain. Early Christians have been thrown to the lion's den and eaten alive by wild animals, and they've done it for absolutely nothing because Jesus did not raise from the dead. If Christ has not risen, then all the good the church has done throughout the centuries is simply in vain. The church of Jesus Christ has built churches across the world. We have built homes across the world. We have fed the poor. We have taken care of the destitute. We have taken care of those who have been impoverished. We have built orphanages. We have built churches with cathedrals reaching to the high heavens declaring that there is only one God. If Christ be not risen, all of that is useless. All of the money that you have given is simply been thrown to the wind if Christ be not risen. In other words, my friends, our very hope and our very faith it rests upon the credibility of the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus lied about the resurrection, then we cannot trust Jesus with anything that He had said. But if the resurrection did occur, then my friends, we can believe everything that Jesus said He was going to do. Lee Strobel said it like this in his book called The Case for Christ, and I quote, 
The resurrection is the supreme vindication of Jesus' divine identity and His inspired teaching. It is the proof of His triumph over sin and death. It's the foreshadowing of the resurrection of His followers and is the basis of Christian hope. It is the miracle of all miracles. You see, my friends, that's what makes Christianity great. Christianity is the only religion in the world. And I repeat, the only religion in the world that believes that God became a man, died a cruel death, and on the third day, He was resurrected in a bodily form and ascended to heaven, and His body cannot be found on planet Earth. We're the only religion that teaches that. And if that claim of Jesus' resurrection is false, then the whole premise of Christianity is false and it is useless. Listen, from the very beginning, people have doubted the resurrection. In the very beginning, people had doubts about the resurrection. The Bible tells us in the book of Matthew chapter 28, beginning with verse number 12, it is the story of the resurrection of Jesus. Towards the end of the story, I want you to see this, and I quote, a meeting with the elders was called. And they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while he was sleeping and they stole his body. If the governor hears this, we'll stand up for you and you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews and they still tell it to this day. You see that last part of that scripture? And they still tell it to this day. There are those who still reject the resurrection of Jesus. They say that His disciples carried away His body. And this is still widely accepted in some parts of the world. There are people who discount the credibility of the resurrection of Jesus. And there are so, there are those who doubt the resurrection of Jesus. They are very skeptical concerning the resurrection of Jesus. How can a man being dead for three days be raised again back to life and ascend to his father? That almost sounds mystic. It sounds like it's a story from a fictional book. And there are those who have discredited the credibility of the gospel stories of the resurrection. And there are those who will doubt the credibility of the resurrection. Look at Matthew chapter 28, verse number 17. 28 verse 17, And when they saw Him right after the resurrection, they worshipped Him, but some of them doubted. Some of them doubted. My friends, that is the postmodern world that you and I are living in. We have people, number one, discounting the credibility of the resurrection. And number two, we have people who continue to doubt the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Resurrection. There was a famous uh, atheist years ago who wrote in his book, his name is called Dan Barker. And he said it like this. I want to read to you what he said about the resurrection of Jesus. His famous uh, atheist who, if you studied his life, he was an evangelical pastor for 17 years, and then after that, he gave up the faith, left the church, denied uh, the resurrection of Jesus, and this is what he says. 
He says, the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the absolute worst example anyone possibly could give for the reliability of the Bible. And I'm not exaggerating. Let me tell you why I'm not exaggerating. Many stories in the Bible are given once or twice. The resurrection story is given five times. You can compare them. Scholars have never been able to reconcile those contradictory accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. Here is a former pastor in the Protestant movement who left the faith, who is now discounting the credibility of the gospel. My friends, it is still going on to this day. There is people that's rejecting the credibility of the actual body resurrection of Jesus Christ. There was about 10 years ago on the convention floor of the Presbyterian Church of the United States of America. They stood on the convention floor and they debated about two things. Number one, the first debate was, did Jesus actually, was Jesus actually born of a virgin? And what is the implications of him not being born of a virgin? Did that actually happen? Number two, they also debated about the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And some of those pastors, liberal pastors, stood to the convention floor and debated and said that Jesus never bodily ascended to heaven. He didn't bodily get up from the grave. This was a spiritual occurrence that happened. Jesus spiritually did it. His body, he did not receive a new body, nor did he bodily raise from the dead. You see, we are living in a generation that your very faith is being questioned. You are living in a postmodern world where people are now questioning your faith. I grew up in a century, I grew up in the time where people didn't question the virgin birth. We didn't question the validity of the scriptures. We didn't question the bodily resurrection of Jesus. If the Bible said it, we believed it. But you see, my friends, the church has done a poor thing in teaching our followers to rightly divide the word of truth. We have built our churches more on heart experiences than we have built it on head experiences. And my friends, both of them are important in the gospel. Both of them are important in the formation of the church. The church of Jesus Christ is an experience. It is a heart thing. It is a felt thing. It is a personal thing. It is an experience with the living Jesus, with the living, resurrected Jesus. But also, Peter said that we need to give an account of the faith that we so hold dearly. You see, Peter, who denied the Lord, Peter, who denied the Lord three times, is the same person who wrote in his epistle in 1 Peter that we need to give a reason for the hope that we believe. Here is a man who denied Jesus, but then wrote a book and said we really do need to give an account of the reason that we believe in this thing. My friends, I want you to push the envelope. I want you to think critically about the resurrection of Jesus. I don't want you just to think about it. I just don't want you to just, just read about it. I want you to study it. I want you to get this a part of your life. I want this to become a living reality inside of you. You see, my friends, people have doubted the resurrection. And not only have they doubted the resurrection, but they've doubted the credibility of the resurrection. Another famous atheist said it like this. He said, believers believe in a resurrection. But he said, atheists believe in a comeback. I'm going to say that again. He said, believers believe in resurrection. But atheists only believe in a comeback. Now, isn't that interesting? That's so interesting that this atheist said, well, Christians believe in a resurrection. 
but they don't necessarily believe in a comeback. I want to remind you this morning that the greatest comeback in history is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the greatest comeback. I said that's the greatest comeback. Believers believe in a resurrection, but atheists believe in simply a comeback. That is the greatest, greatest comeback ever known to human history. That's the greatest comeback in human history. There was a story told several years ago of a Seattle uh, airport. It was a Seattle airport, and there was a cargo handler that was working at Seattle, Seattle uh, Washington's airport. And uh, they were unloading pets off of the plane. And they had a special compartment where they put the pets. And so a uh, cargo handler, him and his co-worker, was working in this airport, and they were getting the pets off of the, uh, uh, of the plane. And they found one of the pets as they got off and started getting all these pets off. They found one of the dogs, a pet of someone, and that dog was dead. And they started to panic. They were frightened. They were like, oh my goodness, we, we we're supposed to take care of these animals and here this, this dog is dead and we don't know what to do. So him and his co-worker decided, listen, let's just make up something. Let's just make up something. Let's just tell the owner that somehow your dog was misrouted to Phoenix and you just need to come back tomorrow and we'll give you your dog. So, it's exactly what they said to the owner. Listen, your dog somehow was misrouted to Phoenix. If you just come tomorrow at the same place, same time, we'll make sure that you get your dog. So that gives them enough time, the co-worker and his friend, that gave them enough time to go down to the pound and look for a dog that looks similar to the man's dead dog. I mean, they had a plan. If we can just go down to the dog pound and find a dog that looks like the man's dead dog and give it back to him, everything will be all right. So they went down to the pound and they find a dog and, and they bring it back to him. And when they gave it to the man, the man said, sir, that's not my dog. That's not my dog. And the cargo handler said, well, yes, sir, it is your dog. He just looks a little different. He has jet lag, but it's your dog. And the man said, no, sir, that is not my dog. And so they went back and forth, back and forth, arguing over and over. Yes, this is your dog. He looks a little different, but it's your dog, sir. And the man said, sir, it is not my dog. And finally, the man said, the co-worker said, he said, well, how do you know it's not your dog? And the man said, because my dog was dead and I was just shipping him back to be buried. See, the point is, is that things don't normally come back to life, do they? Things don't normally come back to life, but a thousand year, couple thousand years ago, a man really did come back to life. And that is the greatest comeback in human history. You know what people would try to do? They would try to explain away the resurrection. Number one, they'll say, well, you know, it's, the, it's what we call the theft theory. The theft theory, and it will be behind me on the screen, the theft theory states this, that the disciples came along and they stole his body at night. I alluded to that a few moments ago. You find that in Matthew chapter 28, verse number 12. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 12. I read the story to you, but you see, the story tells us how the Jewish leaders bribed the Roman guards and 
they said to the Roman guards, you need to report that his body was stolen. And that's exactly what they did. The Jewish leaders bribed the Roman guards, gave him money, and told him, you just need to tell everybody that his disciples stole his body while you were sleeping. Look at it. Look at verse 13. You must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while He was sleeping and stole His body. I just want you to focus on verse 13. Just look at it. I want you to look how ridiculous this claim is. The first claim is called the theft theory, which means that His disciples came at night and stole His body. But look at verse 13. I want you to see how ridiculous this claim is. This is absolutely ridiculous. Why is this theory ridiculous of His disciples stealing the body of Jesus? It's ridiculous because according to verse 13, how in the world do you know what happened if you are sleeping? You must say Jesus' disciples came at night and stole the body while you're sleeping? It's ridiculous because how do you know that they stole the body if the guards are sleeping? It doesn't make sense. How do you know that somebody came in your house and stole your stuff if you wasn't awake to see it? There's no eyewitnesses. This is just an accusation. And this would not hold up in any court of law. This is ridiculous. How likely is it that all of the Roman soldiers fell asleep when they understood that their punishment was death if they did fall asleep? So the accusation does not hold water. Because Roman soldiers were punished by death if they fell asleep on their job. Number one. And number two, how do you know his body was stolen if you were sleeping? And then if this is true, wouldn't they have heard something if the angel or Jesus rolled away the stone? I believe, my friends, that would wake me up. How about you? Hearing a big stone being rolled away, that would wake me up even if I was sleeping. Now, I know some of you are deep sleepers and that probably wouldn't wake you up. But I'm a light sleeper and that would wake me up, you see. So, number one, the theft theory doesn't hold water. Number two, some people will say, well, Jesus really never raised, He was never raised from the dead. And they come up with this theory called the swoon theory. Now, the swoon theory simply states this, that Christ really didn't die on the cross. Rather, Jesus appeared to be dead. And because Jesus was so much in pain, and Jesus was exhausted, and Jesus lost so much blood, He actually just fainted. And they put Him in the tomb, and then Jesus revived Himself in the cool tomb. He revived Himself. That's what they teach. But you know how ridiculous that is? That's totally ridiculous. You know why it's ridiculous? Number one, the accounts of the Gospel stories. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The five accounts of the resurrection gives us the indication that Jesus was dead before they buried Him. In fact, the Bible says that the soldier took a spear and put it into his side and blood and water begin to flow. So, number one, He was dead. He didn't faint. He didn't appear to be fainted. He was actually dead when they put Him in the tomb. And the thing I want you to see about this theory is this. How likely would it have been that Jesus would have endured another 36 hours in a cold, damp, dark tomb without food and medical attention. After His back was whipped with 39 cat of tails, after His beard was plucked from His face, after He carried His own cross, after He endured the agony of the cross, 
and then he was put in the tomb and revived himself. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is fully man, and yet he's fully God. Jesus experienced the suffering and the agony of the cross. He was a man. He suffered it. He, he endured the suffering of it. He didn't have medical attention. He didn't have water. And he didn't have food. It doesn't make sense that Jesus just revived himself in the tomb and had enough strength to remove the stone away and then walk a couple miles with his feet being mutilated by nails. It doesn't make sense. How is this possible? It doesn't make sense. You see, number three, people will say, well, it was the hallucination theory. The hallucination theory states this, that the disciples wanted to see Jesus so much, the disciples longed to see their Master so much that they hallucinated that He was actually alive. They hallucinated that He was actually speaking to them. But you see, this is also ridiculous. Because you know why this is ridiculous? Because hallucinations are subjective. That means that no two people usually have the same hallucination. Can I hear an amen? The Bible also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 6, it will be behind me. I want you to see this. The Bible says that after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to more than 500 people. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if these disciples were having a hallucination, if all 500 people were having a hallucination, that's not possible. Hallucinations are subjective and no two people have the same hallucination, especially not 500 people. So here is another theory that does not hold up on the court of law. Jesus actually was raised from the dead and 500 people saw Him at one time and 500 people testified that He really did live, He really was buried, and on the third day He was resurrected from the dead. Now let me ask you a question this morning. Why is this important? Why is the resurrection of Jesus important? Because it makes Christianity great. And the reason that it makes it great is this, that if Jesus kept His word about His resurrection, then we can have full faith and confidence this morning that Jesus keeps everything that He's ever said. He is a man of His word. But if Jesus lied about His resurrection, then my friends, then we can't trust Jesus with anything He says. So what do we do about this this morning? Did Jesus really raise from the dead? And my friends, I would tell you this Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 20. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20. I want to tell you this, but in fact, Paul says, let me tell you this, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead and He is the first of a great harvest of all those who have died. In other words, Paul said, let me just stop here. Christ really did, in fact, He did Raised from the dead. He is alive and He is well. I, you know why I'm excited about this? Why is this important? I'll tell you another reason why this is important. Because a dead corpse would have never inspired a worldwide movement. Can I say that again? A dead corpse would have never inspired a worldwide movement. How is a dead corpse going to inspire disciples who were discouraged and despondent? A dead corpse doesn't inspire a doubting Thomas. A dead corpse don't inspire a struggling church. 
A dead corpse don't send anyone to the lion's den. A dead corpse don't inspire people to go across the sea. A dead corpse don't inspire people to build churches and hospitals and orphanages. A dead corpse don't inspire anybody to attend church on Sunday morning. A dead corpse doesn't inspire a doubting Thomas. It doesn't convert anyone. A dead corpse doesn't do that, my friends. Do you know why we do what we do? Because we believe the testimony of the Scriptures, and it's been handed to us for 2,000 years by not only the Scriptures, but people who have actually seen Him when He was raised from the dead. And I testify to you this morning that Jesus Christ is alive, and He's well, and He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and He's making intercession for you and I this morning. Hallelujah! He lives! Behind me, in Jerusalem today, there are two places where Christianity say it's possible that Jesus Christ was buried. He was resurrected from these two places. Constantine's mother, Helen, is the person who is responsible for the second picture that I'll show you. But the first picture is called Gordon's Tomb, and this is a recent development. Now, most people agree that it's either one of these places. Now, most people believe it's the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, and some people believe it's the Gordon's Tomb. I'm not here to debate where it's at, but at one of these places, Jesus was raised from the dead. The first picture, go to back to the first picture, you'll see the opening. This is Gordon's Tomb. This is in Jerusalem. At this very moment, I was there. Next picture, you go in, and this is the tomb, supposedly, where they laid His body. You'll see the, the, the bars there, and you'll see an inscription on the back wall that speaks of Jesus' name that that they painted there years ago, but this was called a rich man's tomb. And in a rich man's tomb, they would lay the family in one tomb. So the mother, the father, the children, possibly the grandparents would all be laid in this one tomb if you had the money to do so. This was a rich man's tomb. And the Scripture tells us in the book of Matthew that Jesus was laid in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, who was a rich man. Jesus possibly was raised from the dead there. Look at the next picture. This is possibly the burial place of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second place where people believe He might have been laid is called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This is ancient. This was developed in the 3rd century. Next picture, please. This was developed in the 3rd century. And there is a church that... In there's a church that covers this place. It's called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And the reason that there's a church that covers this place is because you know throughout history there's been many attacks against Christianity, Islamic attacks. There's been many different wars and bloodshed, so they protected the holy sites by building a church over it. So they built a church over this supposedly site where his body was laid and he was resurrected, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Next picture, you'll see inside the tomb, this was where they supposedly laid his body. And recent development, you can watch this on TV, but recent development, they did some archaeological digging. Next picture, they did some archaeological digging underneath the tomb of Jesus, and they found some holy inscriptions that date back to the third century. So it's very possible this could be the place where they laid his body. But you see, I'm not here to try to convince you where they laid his body. I want you to see one place. Either you believe he was laid at the Gordon's tomb or whether he was laid at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the point I want you to see, there is no body at either places. Can I hear an amen? He is not there. 
He does not exist. He is not here bodily. He, his body cannot be found on human earth. Do you know what the resurrection of Jesus teaches us? The resurrection of Jesus teaches us that you cannot stop what God wants to do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You say, Pastor, what does this have to do with my life? It has a lot to do with your life because if Jesus said it, Jesus will do it. And you can't stop what Jesus wants to do. You can crucify Him, but He'll get up and rise again. You can nail Him to the cross. You can beat Him with a cat of nine tails. You can pull His beard. But ladies and gentlemen, you can't stop what God wants to do. I'm about to shout up in here. Hallelujah. Do you know what Pilate wanted to do? Pilate wanted to stop Jesus. So you know what Pilate did? Pilate put a stone over the graveyard. And what did the Bible say? He sent Roman guards and they put a seal on the stone. And then Pilate said, I want you to put a stone, I want you to seal the stone, and then I want you to put soldiers in front of the tomb. But my friends, I want to let you know that there is no stone too big for God and there's no seal too big for God and there's no soldier too mighty for God because you can't stop what God wants to do. If God decreed it, if God said it, it shall come to pass. Is there anybody up in this building this morning that you're thankful that He keeps His Word this morning? Ooh, hallelujah! Do you know why He keeps His Word? Because He is above Pilate, His Word is above Pilate. Jesus said, you destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. He is a promise keeper. My friends, we have found the tombs of ancient Egyptian kings. King Tut, which dates way before Christianity. We have found the ancient cities in the Middle East has been covered up in dirt. We've discovered them, that they existed centuries ago. We have found the lost city of Troy, which confirms Greek mythology. We have found the Dead Sea Scrolls. We have found the bones of dinosaurs, which used to roam the earth thousands of years ago. And we have found the Titanic, which sunk to the bottom of the ocean floor. But there is one thing that no scholar or philosophical teacher or atheist or hater of Christianity has ever found. No one has ever recovered the body or the corpse of Jesus the Christ. Do you know why? Because Jesus is a promise keeper. Jesus is alive and well. I don't care what the stone is. I don't care what the seal is. I don't care what the soldiers are. I don't care what Pilate said. I don't care what the obstacles are. God is in the business of breaking rules and moving obstacles. I'm telling you today, we serve a risen Savior. Hallelujah! And as those women got up on Easter Sunday morning. They took their spices and they began to walk to the tomb. They said to one another in the book of Matthew, who is going to roll the stone away for us? Listen to pastor. The women 
did not expect Jesus to be raised from the dead. They didn't believe that Jesus would keep his word because they were walking with spices and linen cloth. They thought he would still be dead. Can I hear an amen? Those disciples didn't think he would be raised from the dead because they were in fear, shut up behind the walls of their homes. They had a hard time believing that Jesus was raised from the dead. But can I tell you something? As those women walked to the tomb, as they were worrying about what was going to happen and who was going to roll the stone away, as they were worrying, God was working. <laughs> and I want to let you know today that all your worrying is not going to solve anything. Because as they worried, God was working. He was already rolling the stone away as they were trying to worry through who is going to roll the stone away. And when they got there, the stone was rolled away. Because things change at the bleakest, darkest hour of our life. It was early that morning. Before the sun ever came up, the stone was rolled away. Because God works at the darkest hour of our life. I'm telling you today, the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of the church. The resurrection of Jesus is the inscription on the banner of her armies. The resurrection of Jesus is the strength and comfort of every Christian. The resurrection of Jesus is the hope of all humanity. The cry of our Savior today is this. Oh Mary, don't you weep. Martha, don't you moan. For I am He that liveth. I was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. And because I live, you will live also. And because He lives one day, you and I will be caught up in the air to meet our loved ones in the air. Because He lives, you're going to see your dead relatives one day. Because He lives, you and I will live one day as well. The resurrection gives us the hope of eternal life. Somebody, would you stand and give the Lord a shout of praise? Put your hands together and bless the Lord today. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah.